Um, probably if you start heading towards the book of Colossians. Um, I'll give you a chapter and a verse kind of once we get a little bit closer. kind of get into Colossians and then we'll uh, kind of get it settled in just a little bit. Have you noticed um, that when people ask for ID, they almost always ask for two forms of ID. Even when you go to apply for a form of ID, they ask for two forms of ID. Uh, I remember applying for my driver's license, I needed two forms of ID. Uh, you know, one was my birth certificate, and I don't even, I think it was my social security card was my second one then. Now, when I got my social security card, they wanted two forms of ID, so I used my birth certificate, and I don't know what else I used. I don't think I had anything else. I'm, I'm not sure how that worked. I think the only time I didn't need two forms of ID was when I was born. But the, in all likelihood, my parents needed two forms of ID to get me out of the hospital. I, I don't, I'm not quite sure how that worked. We're used to being asked for two forms of ID. People ask for them when they want to make sure that you are who you say you are. They want, they want proof. They want something that identifies you as you. Now, it's, it's, it's no different with the believer, a true follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught that, that, that it was so important uh, that, that he left two forms of ID for us. Uh, two ways to show our identification with him. Two forms of ID, so to speak. Both of them show what he did for us and that we specifically identify with what he did. Now, that's the purpose of the two identifications or symbols that Jesus left for each believer. It's baptism and the Lord's Supper, or baptism and communion. Now, we'll not look at the Lord's Supper other than to say it pictures what Jesus gave up so that you and I could have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. The bread is used to picture the fact that it identifies us with the fact that Jesus gave himself uh, his body as payment for our sins when he hung on the cross. The grape juice represents, it, 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 it identifies us with Jesus' blood that was shed as he hung on the cross. The whole symbolism of communion is about Jesus giving himself as the payment necessary to have our sins forgiven. When we eat and drink the bread and the juice, we're showing that we have made what he did for us something personal. The other form of ID is baptism. Since we have our baptism service later this afternoon, uh, this is what we're going to talk about this morning is baptism. I want us to see three really very powerful truths about baptism, and it, it may be new to some of you, so if you want to take notes, feel, feel free to do that. See, most people assume that baptism is something that gets done when you're a baby, um, our parents might have gone to a particular church and had us sprinkled when we were infants, and maybe they thought they were just dedicating us to the Lord, or it was a symbol that the parents would raise the child in a particular kind of church. Now, now we at Northland Bible Church, um, we don't baptize babies. Okay? Uh, we, we, we may dedicate them, we dedicate parents, we dedicate children, but but we don't baptize babies, all right? When, 
when our children were born, we dedicated them to the Lord. We told God that we understood that he, he loaned these daughters to us, uh, that we would do our best to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, would raise them the way he wanted them raised. We tried to keep that promise to God. Sometimes we failed. Sometimes we did okay. But this morning we want to talk about what we often call believer's baptism, the command of Jesus that after we accept him as a as, as, as Savior, we recognize him as Lord, we are baptized then. So, so let's, let's lay out some basics here first. Uh, then we'll share those, those, those three truths about baptism, how it will help us identify daily with Jesus and his purpose for our life. But before we go on, before we get too far, we need to understand what baptism does not do. Baptism will not get you into heaven. Right? It will not wash away your sins. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 says that baptism is not a removal of the dirt of your body. It's an appeal to God from a, from a clean conscience. It's not uh, designed, its purpose is not to wash away your sins. Only the blood of Christ washes away your sins. Baptism will not make you a better believer. It'll show that you are obedient to what God wants, but it's not going to give you an extra dose of spirituality. We also need to understand what baptism is. Baptism is an act of being totally immersed in the water. We'll explain why in just a little bit. The word baptize or baptism is used several different times in scripture and, and each time it talks about being totally immersed in something. Uh, the original word is, is, is from the textile industry and it was used to, uh, um, you know, when, when you would weave cloth and then you wanted to dye it a particular color you would immerse it in the dye. You would baptize that material so as to change the color consistently throughout the piece of cloth. That's what the word means, to completely dunk. Something else we see in the New Testament, baptism was an act of being totally immersed, and it's an act of, of identifying with Jesus Christ and what he did. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We see many examples, I'll share three of them, uh, that show the importance of baptism. In Acts chapter 8, verse 38, the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized by Philip, right there on the road. Stopped it, found some water, baptized him after his profession. In Acts chapter 9, verse 18, Saul was baptized by Ananias. That must have been a tenuous baptism. Saul had, I mean, he was a murderer of believers, met Christ on the road, and God says to Ananias, hey, go get that fellow. And Ananias says, what? <laughs> you know who he is? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've got him taken care of. So um, at the right time, Ananias was baptized. Um, Ananias baptized Saul. In Acts chapter 10, verse 48, Cornelius and his family were baptized by Peter. Baptism is important in the life of those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. In being baptized, we are following the example, really, of Jesus himself. He was baptized 
as an example, as um, according to Matthew 3.13, in order to fulfill all righteousness. Now we're commanded to do this in uh, Matthew 28, verses 8, uh, I'm sorry, 19 and 20. It's a, it's a great commission. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. In the Mark 16, verse 15 account, of the Great Commission, Jesus says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Now, Jesus is not saying here that baptism is essential for salvation. He is saying that, that belief must be more than just intellectual agreement. That, that, that belief must be more than just knowing the facts. Uh, faith is proven by action. If the faith does not produce action, according to James, it's a dead faith. That's just the way it is. Something else we'll see. Baptism is a symbol. It's a picture. It's a, it's a metaphor uh, of what Jesus did for us. It is a form of ID for us. We identify with Christ through water baptism. And again, baptism means to be immersed. It's a picture of of, 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 of what happens when we trust Christ as our Savior. Uh, it is me identifying outwardly. It's me identifying personally with what Jesus has done inside of me. So what did Jesus do? What does baptism represent, and why should I identify myself with what Jesus did? Well, first... Baptism represents what Jesus did for me. What did Jesus do for me? He forgave me of my sins. If you're in Colossians, go to chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Then I want you to find verse 12. Colossians 2 and verse 12. Read down to verse 14. It says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross." This passage explains at least three things to us here. First of all, I was spiritually dead because of my sin nature, completely unable to do anything that might benefit my lost condition. I was unable to respond to God, and I was unable to want to respond to God. I was dead in my sins. Second thing it shows that Jesus forgave all my sins when I came to him and trusted him to save me. He did not just forgive my sin, he canceled the record of my sin. That means that there's no longer even a record in heaven of my sins. They're gone. He took my sins, he destroyed them by nailing them to the cross. 
When Jesus hung on that cross 2,000 years ago, he literally became our sin bearer, taking our sins onto himself. And the third thing that happens is he made me alive. He gave me spiritual life. He gave me his life. He raised me from spiritual death. Now, look at verse 12. It says, buried with him in baptism. He's not saying that we're forgiven because of baptism, but baptism is simply the, the picture of what took place. Baptism doesn't, you don't really get buried. It just demonstrates, it shows what Jesus did. We identify with what he did for us. Verses 13 and 14, it says, and you being dead in your sins, uh, it goes on, hath quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Jesus, Jesus died, was buried, he resurrected, and he did that to provide us salvation. When I am baptized, I am publicly identifying. I am outwardly associating with the fact that I have accepted Jesus as my Savior. Baptism identifies me with what Jesus did for me. Now, the second big thing we see is that baptism also identifies me with what Jesus did, not just for me, but with me, meaning he gave me the power to overcome sin. See, baptism is, is the public declaration of your faith in Christ. It is an outward demonstration of the inward reality that you have trusted Jesus as your Savior. It is publicly declaring whose side you're on. Baptism shows your willingness to identify with Christ's death and his burial and his resurrection. As you are baptized, you are establishing for yourself and before others the significance of Christ's death on the cross, his burial in the tomb, and his resurrection from the dead. Colossians 2.12 again says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Going down into the water symbolizes your death. We are dying to self. We are dying to sin. That happened when we trusted Christ. In baptism, you are declaring publicly that you no longer call the shots, that God is in control of your life. He has saved you. He is directing you. It is, in essence, a funeral of your old self, so to speak. It's an act of faith in which we we testify before God and we testify before the world that the person we were before is dead and is buried and we are raised a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Romans chapter 5 verse 21 tells us that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through the righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. The righteousness is going to reign in the believer because Jesus has given us his life. 
Now, I want you to look in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, we're going to read the first seven verses. These are important for us also to understand uh, because Jesus is doing something with us once we, once we get saved. Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, God forbid, or, or some translations will say, may it never be so. Uh, it says, how shall we that were dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead uh, by the glory of the Father, so, also, so we also uh, should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, verse 6 says, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, look, look what Jesus has done with us here. He has given us a right standing before God through our faith in Christ. He has given us eternal life, his life, because of this. A, th a third thing uh, that we need to understand is that just because we have that new life, though, that relationship does not give us a free pass to sin. We're to be dead to sin. How would, how would you feel if you heard that the local police had given me a free pass to come into your house anytime I want and to take anything I happen to, uh, to want, anything that caught my eye, anything that caught my fancy. You know, I'd just steal anything I wanted from your house without any repercussions from the law. Uh, you know, the police would forgive my trespasses. I could break into your house, I could take your whatever, and, and you know, the police would like, ah, no big deal. Now, I can, I can guess how you might feel about that. But see, that, that's how some people assume that God treats us. That, that, that he gives us a free pass on sin. God never gives us a free pass on sin. Even though our sins are forgiven, even though there is no record of them in heaven, that does not give us the right to sin. Sin still has consequences. Sin still hurts us. Sin still hurts others. That's why it said in verse 1, uh, shall we continue in sin so grace may abound? In verse 2, Paul says, and that's a strong, that's a strong proclamation, God forbid. Don't you ever think that grace gives you license to sin? Something else we'll see is that we have new lives. Our old life before Christ, it just doesn't fit anymore. The world's no longer our home. We belong to the kingdom of God now. Jesus is our king. That's why as we grow in Christ, the world, it, it, it's just, we don't fit. <laughs> we just don't belong. We're not comfortable there. Something else has happened. We were, we were united with Jesus' death and resurrection. We, we partook of that. Sin no longer has power over us. We are free. We are free not to sin. We can say no to sin now. 
That's why it says, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. We identify with what Jesus did in the, in the, the slaying of the old man. See, baptism identifies me with what Jesus did with me. He gave me the power to overcome sin. So we've seen what Jesus did for me. He forgave my sins. We see what Jesus did with me. He gave me the power to say no to sin. And the third thing, finally, baptism identifies me with what Jesus does in me. What the, what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit lives in me at the point of salvation. The moment I trust Jesus as my Savior, I am regenerated by the Holy Spirit. I am given spiritual life. I am raised from spiritual death. Baptism is not just looking back to the time that we received Christ. It's also looking forward and making the decision to live for Christ. When you come out of that water, that pictures the spiritual life you now have because at a point you trusted Jesus to save you. That doesn't happen when you get baptized. It pictures what happened when you got saved. Well, going down into the water symbolizes your death. Coming up out of the water symbolizes your new life. You remember what verses 4 to 7 say in Romans chapter 6? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and we have covered Colossians off and on quite a bit. It says, if ye then be risen with Christ, and remember that if, we can say since. Okay, you're a believer, so if you're a believer, since you have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection, or set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for, for ye are dead. Okay, you're dead to earthly things, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So in Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him. In glory. That's what awaits the believer. That's what is pictured as you come out of the water. It is picturing the new life that you have because you trusted Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 to 29, it says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ, and if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You've been given a promise of heirship. Um, you've, been, you've been promised a future, an eternity in the presence of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, In whom ye also trusted, after that she heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that she believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. That sealing is important. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 14 says, which is the earnest of our inheritance until 
the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. That earnest, if you've ever bought a house, you had to put down earnest money. That's the guarantee of your intention to follow through with the transaction. The Holy Spirit is our earnest. He is, he is what God the Father has given us to signify his intention of following through with the transaction that he and the Son made by Jesus dying on the cross, raising again, saving us from our sins. Uh, the Holy Spirit guarantees that what God started, he's going to finish. You indwelt by the Spirit of God have the guarantee based on the very character of God himself to the praise of his glory. Now I'm going to list rather quickly here to what the Holy Spirit does for us. Um, we can't look at all the scriptures. We don't have the time. Uh, if you want them, I'll, I'll text them to you or email them or something. But what we need to understand is that the Spirit of God, God, the Holy Spirit, indwelling us is active in our life every single day. According to Romans 8, verse 16, he proves that we are saved, that we belong to God. In chapter 8 of Romans, verse 26, he helps us pray. This is the groanings that cannot be uttered that we mentioned during the prayer time. In Romans 15, verse 19, it says that he helps us share the gospel. He helps us preach to other non-believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, it says that he gives us spiritual power to live the Christian life. In 1 Corinthians 2.10, it says that he reveals God's truth to us. Can you understand scriptures? Under, scripture understandable to you? That is, that is because the Holy Spirit has, 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 has opened it up to you. He gives you that understanding. And without him, this would make no sense. Without him, there would be no life in it. 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says that he lives in us. This says, what? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Spirit, is a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? It says, know ye not this? It's like, you should know this. Of course you know this. The Spirit of God dwells in us. He, he seals us. He secures us. This is in 1 Corinthians 1 and Ephesians 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we have been sealed. We've, we've, we've been locked in. We've been secured by the Holy Spirit of God. According to Galatians chapter 5 verse 18, he guides us into what is right. He produces God's fruit in us. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. He represents us before God in Ephesians 2.18. And then in Ephesians 3.16, that strength that you get to say no to sin, that, that strength that you get in order to walk according to what the word of God says, that comes from the spirit of God dwelling in you. Now, baptism, it pictures it, 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 it identifies us 
with what Jesus did for me and that he died, was buried, came back to life, resurrected so that my sins could be forgiven, so, so that I can know that I'm on my way to heaven. It shows what Jesus did with me. It means that he empowered me with, with, with the freedom to overcome sin, to live uh, in such a way that I can say no to sin now. And then we saw what Jesus does in me, that his spirit lives in, he empowers me, to live obediently according to the word of God. Now, all of this happened at salvation, and baptism pictures what happens at salvation. So, so, so what? <laughs> now what, right? How, how do these three truths make, make any difference to us right now? Well, it shows us that if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior to have your sins cleansed, forgiven, washed away, uh, removed from heaven's record, you need to. Because until that happens, you're still condemned in your sins. You're still dead in trespasses and sins. You're still facing the penalty for your sins. So you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to trust him to save you. You need to commit your life to Christ so that his sins, uh, so, so, so that your sins can be forgiven by him. After you do that, then you need to get baptized. Maybe you have already trusted Christ as Savior, but you're kind of new to all of this. So you need to chew on this new life you have in Christ. You have the power to walk away from. You have the power to overcome anything that is holding you back from what God has purposed you to be or do. You have the ability, the power through the Spirit of God to obey God now. So you need to commit to follow through with water baptism as this outward identification of what you know Jesus has done in you and for you and with you. See, now that you've trusted Christ, if you have trusted Christ to save you, now you can fully submit to the Spirit of God and, and, and allow him to do that work in you in shaping you into the image of Christ. You can accept the truth that the Holy Spirit lives in you if you're truly saved, that God himself, the Holy Spirit, has regenerated you, risen you from spiritual death, and you need to give God a continued control of your life as his spirit leads you. And he's going to lead you through his word. Never will the spirit of God lead you contrary to the word of God. Which means if you know Jesus as your savior, you, the Bible needs to be your best friend. That's what you can do this morning. Baptism will not get you to heaven. But if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, baptism identifies you with Christ and it lets everyone know publicly that you are on your way to heaven because of what Jesus has done for you. Would you stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed, please? Father, this morning we come to you to thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for its authority once again. And we thank you, Father, for the joy it is going to be to see followers of Jesus obedient to him, 
following him in believer's baptism. Thank you for the metaphor, for the picture, for, for what it illustrates to us that we were dead in sin. And we trusted Jesus to save us and he raised us from the dead. Thank you, Father, that it is a step of obedience, but only a step of obedience, that our, our salvation does not depend on our baptism, but, but it shows it shows our salvation. It shows our love for you. It shows our desire to be identified with you. Thank you, Father, for, uh, for in your wisdom giving us this... Uh, this form of identification. And Father, I want to pray for anyone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, that has never trusted them, trusted you to save them. I pray, Father, that your Spirit would work, draw them to yourself, work in them till Christ be formed in them. Lord, we understand that, that often those that are lost... Uh, they don't see their need for Jesus unless you show it to them. So I pray, Father, you would make it perfectly clear that according to John chapter 3, verse 18, they are condemned already because of their sin. But you said in John three sixteen how dearly you love them and desire them to come to Christ to be saved. So please work in them, I pray. Lord, for those of us who know Christ as Savior, I want to, Father, we need to be reminded from time to time we get complacent and we get lazy and we forget the joy, we forget the, uh, the monumental work that was done in saving us from our sins. Father, help us remember Help us remember Jesus' sacrifice and all that is pictured in this step of obedience. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Mike, would you come ahead, please?